Good morning. Uh, um, we're taking a, a break from Genesis for this occasion of, you know, starting to welcome new members, of which Amanda and I are excited to be in that group. Um, but I think, like, as I was studying the passage for this morning from 1 Corinthians 12, which I would just encourage you to turn there now if you haven't already, um, what was thinking about how connected this passage is to Genesis. Everything is connected to Genesis. Like some theologians say that everything is connected to Genesis. But uh, it's, it's so interesting that the thing that we've been studying for a really, really, really long time, the book of Genesis, we've been studying for a long time. So long. But this, this book that we've been studying is not like disconnected from when we go to the New Testament, right? Not at all. So much so that we've been really tracking with Genesis as, as there's been like two promises. And these two promises are almost like uh, the two rails to a roller coaster. The first promise is that in, in chapter 3, verse 15, that we talk about this seed that is promised to, to Eve that will crush the serpent's head, that will renew everything that was broken by the fall. That's the first promise, that there's this offspring coming. And then there's this other promise that we see carrying through. We saw it like last week, even through, even through Judah and, and Tamar, which is that Abraham was promised that there would be a great nation that would come to Ab like through Abraham's offspring and those people would bless the world. That the whole world would be blessed through this nation that God was going to make for himself through Abraham. Two promises, right? And these work their way and it is like a roller coaster. There's like ups and downs and yet these continue forward throughout the book of Genesis. There's a savior coming and through that savior God is making a people for himself that he intends to bless the whole world with. First promise would find its fulfillment in Jesus. The second promise would find its fulfillment in Jesus' body, which is the church. So, even though we aren't in Genesis this morning, we're still kind of in Genesis. You know, we're totally, we're totally in Genesis. Because we're going to read about this second promise being fulfilled and what that looks like because of the first promise having already been fulfilled, Jesus uh, dying on the cross to rescue us. But that's not the only reason I want to like start by talking about how this is connected with Genesis. Because I think it's like really helpful for us, really helpful for us to not get caught only reading some parts of the Bible. You know, the parts that we like, we read the Psalms really often. I really like First Peter. That's my favorite book. So when I have quiet times, I often find myself like in my favorite books of the Bible. And if I'm honest, I feel like almost all the quiet times I've had so far this year have been in the New Testament. This is a kind of a confession, though. Because like we, we read these passages in Genesis, and it helps us know the Lord more, even though we have yet to you know, meet Jesus in his incarnation when we're in the Old Testament, it still tells us a lot about God and a lot about Jesus and what he's come to do. So we see these two promises like tracking through Genesis towards our passage here in 1 Corinthians 12, and it tells us something about God. It tells us like, when we, when we, get, when we go through this passage, all of it is reliant 
on the seed crushing the serpent's head. And all of it is reliant on God keeping his promise to make this great nation through, through Abraham's offspring. And this develops in us not just knowledge of who God is, but worship of him, right? Ideally, when we come together to preach the word, it is not just an, an academic exercise. It's not just so that we're smarter or so that we, we know more about the Bible than other people. That's not why we gather. It's so that that knowledge has to transfer from our heads to our hearts. So when we think of Genesis, we don't think of like, wow, that's a crazy story and I, I kind of enjoy all the details and oh, there's like so many interesting things that happen. No, we are in awe of God because of how faithful he is. We love God more because of how good he is by keeping his promise to us. We think that like, we think that God is sovereign, and then we read the book of Genesis, and we think he's more sovereign than we thought before. Because we see that, wow, look at Judah and Tamar. God had Jesus come through them, like maintained his promise through them. He must be in control. And that's not just like, a, like, a, like an interesting spiritual exercise that matters in practical life. When things are really hard, will you believe that God is in control? Well, then it matters that we know him and that that information that we learn in Genesis transfers to our hearts. Some people, uh, you know, there's like this whole idea of nerd culture. Jeremy and I have actually gotten into an argument about everything, but including nerd culture. I'm like, what is all contained within nerd culture? Because Jeremy... Here's the thing, you guys. Last week, I mocked Jeremy uh, maybe too many times. Maybe. And after the sermon, I got a couple of comments of like, wow, you really gave Jeremy a hard time up there. Listen, my friends. He needs it. Okay? So I told, I, I told Amy I did it for her to keep him humble. You know, it's good for us to have a humble pastor. But in all, in all seriousness, I, I, I love him. But one of the things that is like that we've talked about is what is nerd culture? And and, and you make nerdy jokes. And when you think of nerd, what do you conjure up in your heads? Let me tell you what people don't conjure up but should when they think of truly the nerdiest of nerds. Seminary. Seminary has to be like the mecca of, of, of nerdiness. And the jokes that happen in seminary are extraordinarily nerdy. I had a friend named Zach. This is connected to my, to my sermon, I promise. I had a friend named Zach... I still have, he's still my friend. Um, and he was getting his master's in the New Testament. M-A-N-T, it's academic degree. It's, it's okay. A lot of people studying to be a pastor get what's called a master's of divinity. Okay, master, isn't that cool sounding? It's just like, sounds like I became a sorcerer when I went to, that's what I, I always felt like, master, what do you, what do you, what's your degree? It's a master's of divinity. It's like, like I can do magic tricks or something. Um, and we would always, like, give each other a hard time about whose degree was better, you know? He would say, well, my degree is an academic degree. Like, it's recognized in academia as a, as a more important degree. I was like, yeah, but you're only studying a third of the Bible, you know? I'm studying the whole thing. And I'd always accuse him of really only caring about a third of God's word. And I told him I was going to tell this story this morning. He's like, don't tell your church that. That's a lie. <laughs> That's a lie. I care about more than... The third. So apparently he started to read the Old Testament. I don't know. 
But I, I say all of this as an encouragement. I know this is a long introduction. Again, I'm guilty. But I say all this as an encouragement for you to read your whole Bible. And that, in, that encouragement is, is, has two parts. One of it is that you read your Bible. And the second is that you read all of your Bible. One of my applications of this sermon, and I want you to write it down or put it in your phone. Okay, so whatever it takes for you to, to, to do that right now, is this. Write this down. I am going to ignore, and you can insert whatever you want here, the dishes, exercise, hobbies, Netflix, your phone, work around the house, project you want to get done. I am going to ignore that thing so that I have time to read the Bible daily this week. Every day this week. And if you do that, Jeremy will give you a prize next Sunday. And the prize, he'll probably be like, oh, the prize is that you know God better. Congratulations. I don't know. But, but I want us to be people of the word. And not just people who have knowledge of the word, but who are transformed because it goes from our brain to our hearts. But I also want it to be true that we're not like like I am with Hallmark movies. Here's how it works with Hallmark movies. Amanda loves these movies. And she turns on these, especially Christmas time. She, she turns on these movies and I am doing something else. Eventually I come up halfway through the movie and I'm like, what is going on here? Who is that character? Who is, who is this person? You know, I'm really annoying asking all these questions because I missed the first half of the movie. I have no context for what's happening. Why is there a ghost cowboy telling this woman about who she's going to fall in love with, you know? That's a real Hallmark movie. It's, man, okay. But, I, but you know, I'm just like, I miss, like, the first half. And when we come to the New Testament, if we have no knowledge of what happens in the Scripture, with no knowledge of Genesis, we're going to have a lesser view of God's goodness, a lesser view of His sovereignty, and, a, and like a half view of, of who He is. And so I encourage you, as we come to this passage today, you would then be launched this week to want to know God more. And not just the parts of God that we, like, we are drawn to normally, but all of who He is as He reveals Himself in the Scriptures. But there's another aspect this and then we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 12 which is that I chose this passage today and I realized that I had done the thing that I was that my introduction was to telling us not to do which is that I plopped down into a section that like we need to look at the first section of chapter 12 in order to better understand the rest of the section so here's the pathway that we're going to go today because I don't want us to be like I am with Hallmark movies we're going to actually here's what we're going to do we're going to back up Look at the first part of chapter 12. Then we're going to work our way through Paul's illustration uh, of the church as a body. Then we'll draw some conclusions from that. Mainly in two categories. What we are and what we are not. Then we'll end by talking about what these conclusions demand of us if we're to follow Jesus. If we're going to be part of this body, we're going to talk about what these conclusions demanded us. Six things. And then I'll end with a caution. And I'll end with a caution. Before we do that, I'm going to pray. So would you pray with me? Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we want to gain knowledge of you. We also want that to move from our brain to our hearts that we would worship you. And 
we can't do any of this apart from your spirit, which we're going to read about in this passage today. So we'll pray for your spirit to move, to fill us, to gift us, and to move us. So that people would know what you're like, that people would know how good you are. And that would be for our benefit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 12, our passage today, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in the city of Corinth. That's how we get the letter to the Corinthians, okay? And he writes in this letter, he's, he's writing all kinds of things, teaching them about a lot, of, a lot of Corinthians is about what church life is supposed to be like, even life as a Christian, just normal, everyday life as a Christian, what it's supposed to be like. And so he comes to this first verses of chapter 12 and it's helpful before we get into how we're like a body and he says now concerning spiritual gifts brothers i don't want you to be uninformed and basically he goes through this he says you know that when you were pagans you were led astray to mute idols however you were led therefore i want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of god ever says jesus is accursed and no one can say jesus is lord except in the holy spirit basically what he's saying is like you weren't a christian now you are a Christian, and the difference is the Holy Spirit. The difference between those two things is the Holy Spirit. It's basically what he's saying in verse 3. And it's not that someone who is not a believer cannot form the words with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. But the idea that they would say that and believe it, that Jesus is Lord, that he's actually in charge. He gets to say what I can do and what I can't do. He's king over my life is only produced by the Spirit's work. This idea that Jesus is in charge and he gets to have the say. But it's also an encouragement to us, I think, of like how the Spirit works. Sometimes we think about God as being like distance from us. Have you ever gone through a season where you're like, I just don't sense God's presence right now? Why? Or ask the question, why does God feel so far away? And I would encourage you that asking that question is evidence of the Spirit's work in your life in that moment. Because someone without the Spirit would not, exa- would not acknowledge God and would not care if God was far away. He wouldn't care. The Spirit works in us in such a way that even when we sense that God is distant, that that's actually evidence that he's present in us. The Spirit points us to obey Jesus, but it doesn't just change us because the rest of this first section gives a list of what it does in us, what it produces. And it gives a list of gifts. It says some people will have this, some people will have this, some people will have this. It's one of the several gifts, lists, list gifts. Lists of gifts. Oh my in the New Testament, spiritual gifts in the New Testament. You can look elsewhere. Romans 12 has some. First Peter, I think chapter 4 has some. Uh, chapter 14 of this book has some. More or less, it's just a partial list. But it says that this spirit not only lives in us to make us say, Jesus is in charge of my life. He gets to say what I can do, what I can't do. It also produces in us this, this like, it empowers us to live for him in a special, unique way to bless the church. So we have a variety of gifts with the same spirit, variety of service with the same Lord Jesus, variety of activities, but God empowers them. So it's saying there's a lot of different gifts, and it goes on to list them. Not only are there different ones, 
but it, like we get different amounts of them. Different amounts of them. I don't have all the gifts. You don't have all of the gifts. And even beyond that, some, some of us in this room share the same gifts or the same mixture of, of spiritual gifts. But one might have more of that gift. It says, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit. Verse 11, but he, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. God chooses which gifts you have to serve the church. So if you believe, in summary, if you believe, you have this, if you believe in Christ, you have the spirit. And if you know you have the spirit, and you know you have the spirit if it makes you want to obey Jesus as Lord, and the way that you'll obey Jesus as Lord is, by using the, is in part by using those gifts to bless people. And your gifts are not going to be the same as everyone else's gifts, even though you have the same Lord. And since you have different gifts, you will serve in a different way. And not only do we not all have the same gifts, we don't even have the same amount of all the gifts. But even though each of us are, is unique, it's all for one purpose. And this is in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The purpose of your gifts is to benefit the rest of the church. The purpose of my gifts is to benefit others, not me, myself. And all of this ultimately brings praise to God. The Holy Spirit shows us how good Jesus is by giving us gifts that we need to bless each other. I'm going to say that again. The Holy Spirit shows us how good Jesus is, how awesome he is, how kind he is, how loving he is, by giving us gifts that we use to serve and bless each other. And this is what Paul starts with that is the foundation for his argument that is going to be the center, central text of our time today. Verses 12 through 13, we come to this, he says, For just as the body has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Paul gives us this analogy, and that's going to bring us through the rest of our time today. He says, we're like bodies with many members. Now, members is a good translation, okay? But I think it's one of those things where the, where the English can, can trick us and trick us up a little bit because what what members means in this section is not the same as like maybe our default when we think of members or membership is like I have a gym membership you know I, I I've joined a gym I have a membership that like says that I belong that's not really what he's saying members has to do with like a body part or an organ okay he's saying you are all body parts of one body and members is a good translation but as long as we make sure we know that he's talking about like a limb or an organ. And he says like the body is one thing. There are many parts. So it is with how the Holy Spirit works in the church. There's one church and many parts to it. And the Spirit glues us together in Jesus. But it also diversifies us. It doesn't like, it's not like a trash compactor. Where the Spirit, we're saved and then the Spirit forms us into the same shape. We're all just rectangles now. No. It, it gives us different gifts and then glues us together for the common good. Much like the hand is different than the foot, as Paul will explain for us. We're one thing, one body. 
And it's helpful, I think, to sometimes like acknowledge what we're not. We are not one thing because we look the same or have the same ethnicity. He says it right here. He says it right here. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter if you're Latino or Asian or white or black. That's not what makes us a church. Our ethnicity is not what unites us. We're also not a country club. Our social status does not unite us. He says, slaves or free. Your standing in society, your income, your education is not what unites us as a church. Okay? We are one because we have one spirit and one king. Now this passage is so interesting because this has this beautiful idea of unity in the midst of diversity. But it's immediately followed up by a warning. It's immediately followed up by a warning. And again, you read this passage and it reminds me of how... um, of like talking to a certain three-year-old who I will not name. It's like you, you say, I want you to do this thing. Not this thing. Not that thing. Don't do this or this or this. I want you to do this thing. Because like right after you know that the temptation when you tell them to do this one thing might be to like twist it and go off in this other way. So Paul immediately, as he tells us that we're one body with individual parts, he says, he gives this warning. The foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong. No, we don't say things like that. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. I'm glad I have a body. I'm glad I have hand. I'm glad I have feet and eyes. I do not want to be all belly buttons. The difference is, in the way God has designed us and the gifts he gives us, can't be pulled apart from the church's well-being. Even our very survival depends on us being different from each other and united in the midst of that. So that, you know, like we think about the ways that we serve the church and maybe, and Paul's going to, you know, he gets to this when he talks about honor and dishonor. We have this temptation to say like, well, some things are better than others. Some things are cooler than others. Some ways that we serve are more life-giving than others. I want to be You know, I want to be the the hospitable one. That's like, that's the cool way to serve or whatever it is. Like, I want to, I wish I could, you know, whatever it is, lead worship. But we need all of our gifts used in all the ways that God has designed them to be used for our health. Like a church full of peats would not be good for us. It would be like a man made out of all teeth. It's frightening. We can't have a church of all Jeremy's or of all Josh's or of all Dave's or or Hannah's or Melanie's or Amanda's. They're all amazing people. Praise God for them. But we need each of you. And we need each of you not just to like sit in the pew. We need each of you to serve, to use your gifts in the way that God has designed them to be used. Or our body won't be well. Verses 15 through 17, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? 
there's a common saying. And common sayings often become common because they contain a kernel of truth. And I'm not speaking directly about Gospel Life Church here, but there's a common saying in, in the church world that most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And 80% of the people do 20% of the work. This passage says that should not be so. This should not be the case in the body of Christ. And that should not be the case here at Gospel Life Church. I, uh, I started a diet on, I don't know, Wednesday maybe. I think I'm like four or five days in. I hate it. Imagine now if I told you my diet is 80% cheese and 20% beer. It's a Wisconsin diet. You would say that's not good for your body. Stop that diet, right? Stop it. Stop it. And even if I enjoyed that diet for a little while, a very short while probably, um, it, I would be malnourished. And it would not take long for the negative side effects of that to, to affect my body. So it is with the church. We will be malnourished if only 20% of us do 80% of the work. If only 20% of us use our gifts. If we start to say, well, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a preacher, so what can I do? Well, a, a lot of things. Particularly the thing that God has gifted you to do. You have the spirit. You have a gift. And you need to use it for our, our benefit or our church won't be healthy. We don't need, listen to me, friends, family. We don't need anybody to do everything. We need everybody to do something. We don't need everybody to do anything. We need everybody to do something. And God decides what your gifts are. He has apportioned to each one individually as he wills. If you have a problem with the way, that, with the gifts that God has given you, you wish they were something else, you need to take it up with God. Because he's the one that gave it to you. And you need to ask yourself, if God gave it to me, do I trust that he has a purpose for the way that he's designed me? Do I trust that he's being honest when he says that the way that he's designed me to serve the church is good and that the church needs me to serve? I pray that you would believe that the church needs you to be serving it. This is important. We absolutely need each other, Paul goes on to say. He goes on to say, verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. I think there's, I think there's a couple, couple, couple reasons this could happen. The first is pride. That we would say, I have no need of him. It's pride. Maybe we think, like in our walk with the Lord, we're good enough to do it on our own. We're okay, we're, we're an island of strength, you know, and solitude. It's not true. Charles Spurgeon has this story that he, he, he was like one of, he's, I think he's called like the, the, the prince of preachers, maybe. He's a great, great preacher in history. And Spurgeon tells this story of preaching a sermon, he finishes it, and someone comes up to him and compliments him on how good the sermon was. And he says to that person, the devil told me that five minutes ago. 
how good his sermon was. What he is saying is that the gifts that we have are not about us. So when we use our gifts, we're not supposed to swell up with the kind of pride that would say, I don't need you. Look how much fruit I'm producing on my own. No, because the gifts aren't meant to praise us. Remember, the Spirit works in us to show us how good Jesus is. So when he uses your gifts, it's not to show how good you are. It's to show how good Jesus is. My wife is so gifted in hospitality. So gifted in hospitality. She, you come over to our house for dinner, and she will invite you. She will. Or you, you don't even have to be invited. You can just show up. And she will start making like fresh sourdough bread and she'll have linens. We have linens. If I was a single man, I would never own linens. I wouldn't know how to spell linens. Okay. Her gifts of hospitality show people how Jesus has welcomed us. Even if we show up unannounced, we show up dirty, we haven't showered, it doesn't matter. Amanda will still let you use the good plates. You know? And, and her gift is not about her. It's about showing the world how good God is. So that she would never host a meal so good that she would think, wow, I have no need of other people. Look how much fruit the Spirit is, is, is doing through me. It is, so pride is, is one. The second, I think, is the belief the second, the second issue that would have us saying these things is the belief that the church actually isn't as po- important as the Bible says it is. I think COVID-19 tested this. It, it, it like tested, do we actually need each other? As churches around the world, like, shut down. It's like, well, what are we going to do? And I think a lot of churches lost a lot of people. Praise God, gospel life, like, I look around and I see so many of the faces that I saw before the pandemic. It's like, praise God, it's it's amazing that he's kept us unified. He's even brought new people. It's amazing. But I think like we need each other more than we need safety. Which is not to say that we gather together and we we throw safety to the wind. We're not going to have hand sanitizer. We're going to all sit in two pews together. We're going to be indoors and we're going to just like hug each other and greet each other with holy kisses. No, that's not like. But it is to say we got to figure this out. We have to figure out how to meet. And when we lose our building, we say, okay, we're going to go to a backyard. Not because a backyard is like the easiest place to gather, but because we have to gather. We have to be together. We need each other. And we do, we do all these things because we believe that the Bible is true and it's true when it says that we, we can't say, I have no need of you. Unity and diversity is, uh, is beautiful, but it's a, hard, it's a hard thing. But God has made it this way, this way on purpose. Paul continues on. He says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. He continues on talking about how, you know, some things we might think they have greater honor. Some are more modest. He's talking about people with their gifts and what they, what they do. What he's saying is the body has a design. And the design is intentional. 
And it's intentional to the point where no part of the body can just be done away with. I hurt my finger uh, two weeks ago trying to block uh, the shot of a five-year-old on a, uh, on a, like a five-foot rim. And I jammed my rim on, I jammed my finger on the rim, which is not normally a problem for me because I can't jump very high. And it's like, it hurts, you know? Not once in the past couple weeks have I thought that like, I should just chop it off. I should just get rid of this finger. Finger, I have no need of you. Like, you're useless to me. And it is kind of useless. Like, I can't really type with it right now. It's, like, permanently in this direction. I, like, point it at something, and it goes, like, you know. The body is designed in such a way that we need all of its parts in order to function in a healthy way. The hand can't do everything. And so we shouldn't treat it like it should do everything or like it has the honor of doing everything. A very practical application of this has to do with Jeremy. He's our pastor. He can't do everything. He shouldn't do everything. That would be really bad for our church if we put that on him. He's not made to and it wouldn't be good for us if he did. Listen, Jeremy's an awesome pastor. It's true. He's incredibly gifted and we're really blessed that he's our pastor. And I know a lot of pastors. I'm glad that Jeremy is mine. He, he has some incredible gifting. But he doesn't have all the gifts. He doesn't have all the gifts. If you know Amy for uh, like any period of time at all, you'll start to realize he's not even the most gifted one in his marriage. Silver medal out of two in terms of who has more gifts. But, you know, like even as we think about Jeremy starting real estate and, and, and not devoting all of his time to Gospel Life Church, but part of it to, to this, which he does to serve our community, which is like amazing, right? It's a test of us. Have we like relied on him to do everything? I hope not. We shouldn't. We shouldn't. We bear the load together. This passage says that we're not a one-man show. We're not a one-trick pony. We need each other. But it also means, not only do we not rely on one person, we don't rely on one set of gifts. Our church will be unhealthy if we teach, but we aren't hospitable. If we evangelize, but we, we aren't encouraging. If we prophesy, but, but we, we don't have any administrative gifts. It will be unhealthy for us as a church. So Paul says in verse 20, as it is, there are many parts in one body. Praise God. Almost done. This, uh, this sounds great, right? It sounds great that we're all in this together. It should sound great. If it doesn't, like if there's fear or doubt, continue to rely on the Spirit who gave you these gifts. Trust that God gave them to you for a reason. Listen to me. When I talk about how like we shouldn't rely on Jeremy for everything, let me also talk about how I see God at work through many people in this church. Like it's good that we're not all Jeremy and we're not all we're not all Ben. Either Ben. Like it's it's awesome that we have Dave who teaches our kids. 
you know, so well that they're like, Madison this morning on the way to church, I'm so excited for church. I say, yeah, me too. She says, I'm more excited. <laughs> He's like, okay. She's more excited because, because like her and Evie want to give cards to Dave. You know, they're so thankful that you're their teacher. I get emotional because this matters like in really practical ways for our family. Kenzie's like, Ken, we're talking about church yesterday and Kenzie's like, who will play with me tomorrow? You know, will, will it be CJ and, and Maria? And she wants to know who, who will play with it's good that Jessica is, you know, so hospitable. She's not here. Tell her I said that. It's good. She's downstairs. Someone tell her. You know, it's good that we have people who are administrative. We don't need anyone to do everything, but we need everybody to do something. And if you say to yourself, like you're sitting there and you're like, okay, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You know, how am I supposed to serve? What are my spiritual gifts? Then let's find out. But you have to serve. Self-doubt is, is not an exemption from this truth. That we need you. God has designed us to need you and your gifts. It's like the, the church is... When we stop seeing the body of believers, the church, as something we need, we're going to start seeing it as something we want. It's like the difference between air and chocolate. You know, I need air. I have never heard of someone make a New Year's resolution that they're going to breathe less air this year. You know? Someone probably has, but I've never heard it. Or like, I've never heard of someone saying, I'm going to give up air for Lent. Because it's silly, right? It's silly to think that you, would get, that you would stop, like, thinking of something you need as a necessity. If the church is actually something we need, then we have to stop treating it as something we want. And if we have to stop treating it as like something that, like as a preference or a hobby for us, then we're going to stop saying things like, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty tired. Oh, it's, it's cold and it's snowy out. There's not enough people my age. I really, you know, the, the sermons are too long. I really wish they would play the music I like. Do you see the difference? The difference of viewing the church as something that's like just your preferences, as something like helpful that you add on to your life that maybe like you see as making yourself a better person? That's viewing it as like a gym membership. It's not a gym membership. It's something that we need. We have to have. The church is not like chocolate. You cannot afford to go without it. You don't have all the gifts. That's what Paul's argument is. You don't have all the gifts. You cannot go without the body of believers. This is what Paul argues in his final section. Let me end with uh, some conclusions that we can draw from this. For we, uh, first, the ways that we won't function if, if we don't believe this to be true. We won't function if we all have the same gift. We won't function well if we withhold our gifts from each other. We won't function if we compare ourselves to each other. We won't function if we're full of pride. We won't function if one person does everything. We need each other. We need each other. Paul ends the section by saying, if one member suffers, all suffer together. This is verse 26. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. When the Weavers family got COVID, people prayed and they started a food chain. We were suffering, 
the body knew and they cared for us. When Ben had to be out of town, Titus learned how to do our live stream. You guys know that Titus does like our sound and lights and live stream like half the time now? It's amazing. It's awesome, man. Thank you. We need you. Think about like when uh, it was impossible for Ellie and Andrew to plan their wedding. So we, we, we hang out with them and we comfort them because that's, that, that's hard, right? And we tell them, hey, when, when we can celebrate in Minnesota, we're going to be there with sparklers and, and confetti and everything. And when, you know, when, when, Jeff, when Jess Smith moves to Montana, we, 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 we keep connected. We long for the time we can see her and Wes again, don't we? I, I just think, like, it's so beautiful when you think about how this, like, actually works itself out in, in real life. When Matt and Lydia lost Owen, they suffered. And so we cry with them. And we write cards. And then, Dave, I know your mom too. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, when we lost our church building, we, we had a backyard. It's like a, a beautiful thing and we need it. When Jess Peterson comes back to visit, we do fireworks after the service. Uh, em- emotional fireworks. And, you know, like when, when people are gone for a season, Hannah, when you leave, you know, our church body will feel that missing part. So what, how, do, how do we apply this? How do we apply this? I'll be brief now. Oh, boy. I'll be really brief. I'm so sorry. Six things. Really briefly. <laughs> Number one, set aside your preferences. Jeremy always used to say, like, to students and students, he'd say, like, he, he'd say, uh, you know, church is not about you and your preferences. It's about Christ and his kingdom. Amen. Set aside your preferences. The second is that you belong. It's time for us to stop renting and, and, and get a mortgage. When it, when it comes to church, like, we need to, we need to identify as belonging. This is us. It's not just a place I go on Sundays. This is who I am. This is my people, my family. And I think how that applies to most of us is that we all have friends now, probably more friends than ever because of the virus that like sent everyone to worship virtually. Encourage your friends to belong to a local church, not just watch somewhere on Sunday. They need it. This service is not the church. You know, I say like we're not a, we're not a country club. We're, we're not a gym membership. We're also not a church service. This is not the church. We are the church. So a lot of your friends don't have church. They have church service maybe. They need it. Encourage them. The third is this. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. If you don't, if you don't know what it is, one of the easiest ways is to ask others, how has God used me in, your, in, in, in people's lives? You'll know that the spirit, Spirit's at work if you see you know, fruit that makes Jesus look good, like we said. Ask this question, what do you have that you can use for the good of others so that other people can know how good Jesus has been to you? Fourth, take responsibility. Take your responsibility to the body seriously. Not only your gifts, but your presence and your time and your treasure. Number five, see how fast we go? Enjoy each other. If we're all contributing and our con- contributions are for the common good, it's going to be what God says it's going to be. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So we should enjoy that. 
and invite other people to experience that goodness. Your friends, especially those who don't know Jesus, invite them so that they could know this goodness. Number six, above all, love each other. The next passage is the, the wedding passage, 1 Corinthians 13, for a reason, because he says, I, was, I will show you a more excellent way. He says, if you use all these gifts, but you don't have love, it's, it's nothing. Above all, love one another. And then because, the, like I spent apparently an hour and a half on the introduction to this sermon, like about context and how context helps us understand more. You know what the context of this passage is? It's the Lord's Supper. Paul says, we need to remember the body that was broken so that this body could be whole. You take out your communion element.